0: For uh, the moments that we get to share together in the word, I want to talk a little bit about everybody goes to the well. Everybody goes to the well. Amen. One moment. All right. <laughs> uh, there's a small little soft drink company you might have all heard about called Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Really on the edges of the fray, not really well known, but they had this advertising campaign in 2014 and it was called the ah effect it was designed to offer brand recognition to their soft drinks and so they wanted what they wanted to happen is every time you heard somebody say ah they wanted you to think about coca-cola it was an innovative, long-term campaign designed to capture the attention of the young folk, the teen audiences, the children. And so when they set up their websites, they would have, ah, Every time you went to, the, to, the, uh, to click on certain things, and they'd have refreshing bubbles showing up, and sound effects, when you clicked on certain links, you'd hear, Because ah, that was meaning refreshment. And it was an employed sound effect Everywhere for videos, for games, for creative images. But the campaign was designed to make you think about Coca-Cola more than you thought about water. All right. Water is needed in life. Uh, the average person, they say, can go up to three weeks. I don't know how. But I, they say that the average person could go up to three weeks without food. But... Only three days without water. Amen. There are even health articles out there that say that when you wake up in the morning, the best and first thing you should do for your health is drink some water. Yes. That gets your metabolism going better than coffee will. That's supposed to help your digestion and help everything get into order. Water is essential to life. Water is important. To life. That's why we are still talking about year, uh, a very long time after it happened, the Flint water crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you affect somebody's water supply, yeah. you affect them greatly. And water is not only important now, but water was important back then Amen. in the Bible times. Jesus would have known about water growing up in the rocky lands of Israel. And he knew firsthand that water was a precious resource that couldn't be that you couldn't come too easily. That's why cities were gathered around wells. That's why cities were gathered along the rivers and everything like that. That's where these things happen That's why, even today, why you can have certain cities like a Galveston or a Bay Area that were extremely popular before the before the invention and, and, and the improvement so-called improvements of the highway system because everybody needed to be near the water. And so Jesus would have known about this and would have seen his mother Mary go countless times and other women to spend hours of the day going to the well. Why everybody needed to go to the well. That is a popular place to be because everybody needs the water. Uh, And Jesus is encountering this Samaritan woman on the hot noonday sun. And he can appreciate the hard work that goes into going to this well and drawing water for the family. In those cultures, it was was primarily the the working woman, the matriarch, that had to go to the well to draw up water several times a day so that people could cook and clean and, and bathe. And so this water was, if if there was a well nearby, it was going to be frequented over and over by these people. And so Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman carrying heavy water, or going to carry heavy water. One pint of water weighs about a pound. Five-gallon buckets can equal 40 pounds. And a woman would have had to go to the well several times a day to meet the demands of the family. So it didn't matter if you were rich or you were poor. Everybody had to go to the well. It didn't matter if you had all kind of education and a bunch of letters in front and behind your name. Or if you could barely spell your name. Everybody had to go to the well. The well was a meeting place for the people. The people that had to go together, they met at the well. And so this this woman, this Samaritan woman, encounters the Savior at Sikar. Jesus is headed to, uh, uh, leaves Judea and he's headed to Galilee. And he's leaving to avoid a popularity contest between himself and John. Oh, can you imagine that? Two leaders in the faith deciding that we don't need to compete, but we ought to work together. And there's a whole bunch of places out there that need to be uh, conquered. And let's spread out so that we can do what we need to do. Can I make it plain? Uh there was a, a sociological study done at the, by a professor at the University of Houston on the Houston metro area and everybody that goes to church. And at the time that he did it, the Houston metro area had about five million people in the area. Amen. And you would wonder how many of those people would go to church. I'll tell you, 400,000. So there were 4.6 million people in the city of Houston that were sitting here and not connected to any kind of church. That would tell us that we got some work to do as pastors. That would tell us that we have some work to do as Christians. That would tell us that we have some work to do as people if there were 4.6 million at the time of this that weren't connected to a church. But instead of them not being connected and people going after the 4.6, we fight over the 400,000. Don't go to this church, go to this church Go ahead and leave that church We got the better minister of music Oh, we got the better preacher Oh, we got the better uh, child care representative Instead of trying to figure out what could we do To reach out to the 4.6 Besides saying they need to come out from among them And they need to get Jesus and find their way to us Instead of going out to those people And trying to bring them in We fight over the people that are already in the church And so Jesus decided to move on so that they could stop comparing him to John the Baptist. And they could stop comparing his ministry to John the Baptist's ministry. And he made contact with this lady at the well. And the Samaritan Samaritan woman comes and asks him or no, the Samaritan woman comes to the well for water, and Jesus asks him for the water. Her, her response is he wants to know, she wants to know why a Jew is even talking to a Samaritan. Wow. Uh, something I learned in, prepper, in prepping for this message, and I didn't realize it until now, that the Jews and the Samaritans were not always on the best terms. That was known. But what I did not know is that the, the Samaritans were also descendants of the Israelites. Uh, the text says that the Samaritans were the Israelites, but they got conquered at one time by the Assyrian Empire. First Chronicles 5 tells us that the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh were deported. They were deported and sent away, even though they were a part of this land. They were deported and sent away. And they got conquered. And then uh, 300 years later, that just Josephus tells us that they built a temple on Mount Gerizim. And then the Babylonian Empire conquered them. And, and, and after the Babylonian Empire fell, these people decided to return back to Judea. They decided to come back after being deported. But when they came back, they had realized some things had changed. Uh, the Samaritans did not get along with those people that we are calling the Jews. And they had some different opinions about worship styles, which was one of them. Uh, the Samaritans only believed that, that the only books that we need to focus on Were the first five the, 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 uh, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy The Pentateuch And so they didn't understand all these extra verses I would be depressed if I only had to focus On the first five What would we do with Isaiah I, I don't know if I could not. I, I need to hear sometimes uh, 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 That they that wait Upon the Lord Shall renew their strength And mount up in wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. I need to hear some of that. I need to hear some of these psalms. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast of the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I need to hear some of that. And so what you had with these Samaritans and the Jews was sort of a traditionalist view versus a modern view. And so that was one of the things that they were uh, disagreeing on, and they were disagreeing on it to the point that they fought a war, and that this temple that was built in Mount Gerizim was a rival to the temple that was built in Jerusalem, and that temple that was built in Mount Gerizim was torn down. And so then you have these people who are still arguing about worship styles, still arguing about how they think church should be, still arguing about who they think should sit in the pulpit, Thousands of years ago, these Samaritans are arguing about it, and we're still arguing about it today. Nah. And so they weren't really big, the Samaritans, on that new stuff, and they allowed this division to divide them to the point that some people wouldn't even know that the Samaritans were descendants of the Israelites, just like all the other Jews. Uh, uh, These people were related to each other, but they were not relating to each other. And so he's asking, or not He's sorry, the woman at the well is asking why would Jesus, a Jew, talk to a Samaritan woman? Not only is there there's this, this, uh, this religious division, there is a social class division, amen? Because women at that time were not supposed to be talking to men that they did not know. In, in, in that time, they were not... To be talking to women that they don't know They weren't supposed to be uh, Men and women who did not know each other If they were not related Or if they had not already been introduced To one another through another man That was a a, a social and societal no-no But yet and still you have this conversation going on Jesus was willing to talk to somebody That the rest of society had deemed unimportant Or at least the rest of that society Had deemed unimportant We ought to be able to go to the well. If we have Jesus inside of us, we ought to be able to share that with some of those people that don't dress like we dress. May not have gone to the same school that we've gone to. May not have the same amount of money that we have. We ought to be able to share Christ's goodness with all. Uh, If there's something good inside of you, you ought not keep it to yourself. And so here you have this man, this man from Galilee breaking this social and religious cue by talking to this woman. And for my Bible scholars and my Bible skinner, skimmers, uh, uh, we notice this, this, this woman in chapter 4 and we go back to compare it to chapter 3. In chapter 3, that, that verse that's often quoted that pins our entire theology in one verse, for God so loved the world. That he created, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That was part of a a larger conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish official. And Nicodemus in chapter 3, when you go home and read the Bible on your own, because I know you all don't just read the Bible on Sundays... But when you go home and read chapter 3, you realize that Nicodemus was a Jewish official. He had some rank. He had some stature. But he snuck to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. So nobody else could see where he was and what he was doing to ask about this Jesus. Ask about this Messiah. Ask about this salvation. But here you have somebody who is a social outcast willing to ask about Jesus publicly. If only we could have some of that boldness in our faith. If only we could not be so scared to represent Jesus everywhere we go. I'll give you a a little secret. You may think that you're not representing Jesus everywhere you go, but you already are. Might as well be public about it. You are always, if you are in the body of believers, somebody's interpretation of a Christian. You are always the only Bible some people will ever read. Gandhi said a long time ago, I have no problem with your Jesus. I like what he says. The problem was with your Christians. And so he's willing to go out and deal with the public and not just hide the faith. And so he's willing to do that. And so this Samaritan woman, a race that the Jews despised, went to Jesus in public. In broad daylight, in a place that nobody else would... In broad daylight, where a place where a whole bunch of people can walk by and see and was willing to talk. And not only was she willing to talk, Jesus was willing to share. Yes. Uh, and so we have this contrast. We have Jesus contrasting the liquid water with the living water. Yeah. Uh, this liquid water must be drunk often. All right. You drink water... You're going to have to take another drink soon again. There's no one sip that'll be good for the rest of your life. But this living water, once you partake of that, you will never thirst again. Only what you do for Christ will last. Kings and kingdoms will pass away. Presidents will come and go. Oh, God, please help me. Jesus. Presidents will come and go. Mayors will come and go, but the word of God will stand forever. You can't remember what you ate for lunch last week, but 2,000 years ago, a man hung, bled, and died for your sins and got up on the third day and rose again with all power in his hands. There's a reason this is the best-selling book of all time. And so we have this living water that he's trying to offer to him. And there's the revelation and the action and for the revelation there's a reaction. She hears about this living water and now she wants it. She has a desire to find it and and it's good that she wants that living water. Because that living water is constantly moving. Stagnant water is a breeding ground for organisms and parasites. We always talk about these mosquitoes Uh and, and I'm not from Texas. Like, I mean, this ain't part of the, the sermon. I just need to understand. I'm not from Texas. I'm from Indiana. Okay. What are y'all mosquitoes eating? Uh, you? I don't understand. I've never had to slap a mosquito twice until I moved down here. They shake it off. Oh, I'm good. What's the that's all you got? But stagnant water is a breeding ground for mosquitoes and parasites. So you want this living water that is constantly moving. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things will pass away. And so this living water is constantly welling up inside of you. Amen. And so it's a, we want that living water. And now when we got that living water, he's also con- uh, contrasting. Still, we still talking about worship styles. He contrasts that real worship with ritual worship. I says to worship him in spirit and in truth. The root word for worship comes from worth. And so, when you are worshiping something, you are literally saying how much it is worth to you. We can say we worship something. We can say we love something. We can say we can believe in it. But there's an old state, I I grew up uh, in, in Indianapolis, Indiana, under Bishop T. Garrett Benjamin. And one thing he used to say all the time is, I can open up your checkbook and tell you what you worship. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your talent? Where are you spending your treasure? what you spend most on is what you worship and we've gotten to the point sometimes where it's ritual we say things and we do things and we not necessarily believe it it's just ritual we do it over and over again and so he's asking, he's talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth we ought to have a real authentic relationship with God, God is always being real and open with us it's time we ought to be real and open with him Ah. and so he has this command and this command that Jesus gives let the church say command, command. Uh, the command is go get your husband and the command is responded to by concealment her concealment is that she says I don't have a husband and then Jesus goes on to say you are correct that you don't have a husband you've had five and the one you're with now ain't your husband. All right. Now allow me to stop right here because I've been a victim to this and I've probably victimized others to this. There's, there's been some research done on this. This is not talking about sin. Okay. Uh, this is not, Jesus mentions the woman's situation but he does not magnify the situation he mentioned and, and Jesus does not mention words when he has a problem with them. all over the Bible in red you'll see you hypocrites you brood of vipers you'll see him turn over tables and chairs and whip people up out the church you don't see any of that here Jesus mentions the situation, but he does not magnify it. And some of us have taken an opportunity to try to pound on women and talk about loose women and talk about just just abuse women from the pulpit. That is not what this is about. Uh, There's been some research done, and Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And a lot of times when he spoke in Aramaic, he had multiple things he was saying at the time. Stuff was layered. There was multiple meanings going on. And, 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 and at this time, when he talks about it, there's a double meaning in the conversation because in Aramaic, the word for husband is also Lord. And so he tells this Samaritan woman that you've had five lords and the one that the Lord that you're with now is not your Lord. Uh, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And while we've tried to make this a marriage conversation, this is actually a political conversation. Ah, uh, because the Samaritans, when they used the word for Lord, they talked about who was ruling over them politically. And so, when you tell a Samaritan woman that you've had five lords and the one that you're with is not currently your lord, the Samaritan people had been captured and conquered often and deported, captured and conquered often. And deported and so they had five rulers to be exact. They had the Babylonians ruling over them for one time. They had the Persians ruling over them for another time. They had the Greeks ruling over them for another time. And then they had uh, the Jerusalem based uh, Persian Greek Babylonians Assyrians ruling over them as well. And then this time at this time they had the Judeans ruling over them who were also being ruled over by the Romans. Ah, So when you tell them that they've had five lords, they're talking about the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greek, the Jerusalem-based ones, and then the Romans. Because during this time, everybody was under the Roman rule. Uh, That is why they didn't want Jesus getting out, the word about Jesus getting out. Because when people were looking for a savior, they were looking for a militaristic savior. They were looking for somebody to overthrow the Roman government. And so here we are thinking that we're talking about a woman's past, but he's actually talking about the history of Samaria. Amen. Lights. Amen. Amen. I just, I have a, uh, 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 as some of y'all will get to know, I, I have a problem when we use certain passages to beat up on women. Yeah. Like the woman who's caught in adultery. How do you get caught in adultery by yourself? Amen. Amen. Come on, That's why I don't have a problem with women preachers. I'll say it again. What is the gospel? That Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead again. And so when we go to the scripture, there's a woman there that knows he's born of a virgin. There's a woman that knows he suffers under Pontius Pilate and is crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. it's women that go to the tomb and find the angel with the empty tomb. And they are told to tell the disciples. So I, whenever I come, I come across a scripture that I feel like needs some extra clar- for clarification, I'll spend some time there. Amen. Amen. Uh, and so we have that correction, and they, they've had five rulers, and the, 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 the sixth ruler is not actually their ruler. It's ruling through somebody else And this double meaning. And then there's when we have this correction, we have the response to correction is cleverness. Uh, she attempts to change the subject. You must be a prophet. Uh, but flattery should not distract us from our work. Compliments should not keep us from doing kingdom business. Uh, and so she, there, there's confusion still in, in verse 20 where she goes on to ask, uh, uh, still talking about worship. Still talking about worship. Jesus, And he says that you must be a prophet. And talking about our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, that's the Mount Gerizim. Uh, but you Jews that said that the place must take place, uh, the, the, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Still arguing about real, real versus authentic worship. Whether we sing amazing grace or we sing Lord you are good and your mercies endure forever. As long as it's authentic, as long as you are worshiping Jesus in your heart, it ought not matter. The worship must be done in spirit and in truth. We ought to be able to worship God authentically and not treat God like a vending machine. Not treat God like some menu at Luby's. I'm going to have some of this. I don't like that. Who made that? How long has that been out? I don't want that. What's the special today? It ought to be authentic. We ought to be able to open our hearts up and tell God what's on our mind, even if we're not feeling him at the time. God is big enough to create the universe. Speak and worlds are formed. I think he can handle your bad day. So we ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that authenticity also does not prevent us from going to church. The Bible says for us to fail not to assemble ourselves, Amen. amen. The Bible says behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, amen. Time and time again, I see in the scriptures where it says that Jesus was going to the synagogue, as was his custom. So if it was his custom, that means he did it on a regular basis. So if Jesus can do it on a regular basis. So true worship, though, is not where how is about how we worship God and God must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. The argument is not about the sight. The argument is not about the style. The argument is not about who's up front and who's in the seats. The argument is about how you are supposed to worship God. Yes. Yes. And so she acknowledges. Jesus says the worship is not where, not where but how. And God needs to be worshipped in spirit or in truth in neither sight. Whether they are arguing about Jerusalem or Jer- Jerusalem is the true thing. Uh, And from this clarification over the confusion, we have conversion. Uh, The woman says, he tells him that she, the woman says that she knows that when the Messiah comes, he's going to spread all of it out. Explain all of it out, I'm sorry, and set everything straight. And he tells her that I am the one you've been waiting for. And she acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. That didn't take long. I guess when sometimes you make it plain, that's all you need. But here it is, and Jesus declares that I am here, and then the disciples are coming back. And they're surprised to find him talking to a woman, but nobody says anything. And then she leaves her water jar. She leaves what she came there for because she got something much better. And she, says, and, te- and she says, come see and tell the man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a model Christian right there. That's a model son and daughter of Christ. That is a model. Once she got the good word, she was willing to explain it to other people. Uh, you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. Yes. I do this for a living. I get me a little 30 minutes on Sunday and about an hour on Wednesdays. And every now and then if somebody invite me to their 3 o'clock program, I do it then. But you all, as people of God who interact day to day with your jobs and at schools and at the grocery store and at the dry cleaner and everywhere else, will have more opportunities to share Christ than I ever will. Yes. And see her, this woman in Samaria, she got it. This Samaritan woman got it and went and spread the word. See and come, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And verse 30 says they came out of the town and made their way towards him. It didn't say she had to wait for the right time. It didn't say she had to wait until she got a nice appointment. It didn't say she, could, she had to wait until she got the church that she was wanting to pastor. She told, the way it, that she told it immediately. Uh, when you got Jesus in you, you ought to tell it. You ought to tell it even if nobody says amen. You ought to tell it whether it's 13,000 people looking at you or it's two. You ought to tell it no matter what goes on. And what what should you tell them? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners plunge beneath that foot, they lose all their guilt and stains. You ought to tell them that there's this man called Jesus Who hung, bled, and died for your sins? You ought to be able to tell them that we've been, have an opportunity to avoid death hell in the grave. You ought to tell him that he was there. He hung, bled, and died and got beat up and didn't say a mumbling word. You ought to be able to tell him that he was whipped with a cat of nine tails for us. You ought to be able to tell him that he was blindfolded and hit and they said, prophesy, Jesus. Which one of us hit you? You ought to be able to tell him that he had this crown of thorns. You ought to be able to tell him that he never said a mumbling word. You ought to be able to tell him that they put him on the cross. And said, if you's really the Messiah, come down and save yourself. You ought to be able to tell him that he stayed on that cross. Because had he come down, my soul, your soul, your soul, all of our souls would have been lost. And you ought to be able to tell him that he died. You ought to be able to tell him that that's not where the story ends. You ought to be able to tell him that early, one Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands and rose into heaven and you ought to be able to tell him that he's coming again will you be ready won't he make a way for you won't he open doors for you the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come